Uh, it's about Courier and Ives and the, the um, Americana behind Christmas. And I, I always kind of wonder what it's like to be living in the Southern Hemisphere at Christmas when there is no snow. And there is, well, <laughs> there is no snow here. I'm beginning to get a little bit of a picture, you know, but it's cold in Minnesota. Are you sure you want to live there? Okay, Amalia, we, we have an answer. I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. <laughs> so there you have it. Linus at least took us to the scriptures. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, we're going to turn to Proverbs. I'm going to poach on Jerry's terrain here a little bit and look at Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs in chapter 30. Now, when Charles Schultz was making um, Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown, uh, it was, I believe, 1962, 1963, it came out right in that era. And uh, it was, I think, only the second Christmas special on television ever. The first being Mr. Magoo, if you remember that, in 1961. Um, gosh, half of you here don't even know who Mr. Magoo is. But when he was making this, 
the director, Bill Melendez, uh, in a meeting with Charles Schultz toward the beginning, said, do you really need to pull the Bible out and do that whole, that whole thing? And Charles Schultz said, if not us, who? And if not now, when? And he re recalled that in interviews uh, many years later. Because the world doesn't want to talk about Jesus. And if we do, the world wants to just kind of boil it down to the Christmas season and this little baby in the manger. And so Charles Schultz was bound and determined to get at least a little piece of the Christian, the Christmas message about Jesus being born um, out there in the world. And in fact, this is one of the most popular uh, television shows that repeats every year. And you can buy in multiple formats on disc and tape and out of the cloud someplace and all of that and you can own it and watch it whenever you want now um and that's a good thing uh, scripture will not come back void so let's open with a word of prayer here before we go any further heavenly father we praise you for the gift of your son who you gave us uh, not just to show us how to do it right but in fact you gave him to us to become the perfect sacrifice and pay a debt that we owed that we could never repay lord i pray as we go through your word this morning that you would uh, drive the distractions of today out of our minds so we can just focus on you and on your son it's in his great and glorious name we pray amen so you will recall in our study of Hebrews in chapter six in the opening verse, the writer is reminding his Jewish audience that they have this understanding of Messiah, but it is an immature understanding. And he says in one in six verse one, he says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, right? You have generations, you Jews, of, of um, studying who Messiah is, he says, but you have bound that in tradition. And he says, let's set that aside and let's move towards maturity. And that's what I want us to do this morning and uh, a week or so ago I, I read an article in the cornerstone magazine um, written by shane johnson the article was titled what is his son's name and it's from the january and february issue of 2024 oh. so it's in this issue that comes out in december so there is some Christmas-based stories and articles in it. And I used part of this article as a kind of a background for this. I wanted to give him the credit um, for 
giving me inspiration to look at this. I'm going to read from Proverbs chapter 30, the first five verses. The words of, of Agur, son of Yahweh, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God, I am weary, O God, and worn out. I can testify to that. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in, the, in a garment? And who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. We don't know anything about Agur ben Yaheh, the author of this particular psalm. Although God being the ultimate author, he inspired Agur to write these words. We know nothing about him in scripture. Um, some proverbs solve a riddle for us. Others will present a riddle to us for our examination. And that's what Agur does here. And he admits that he is more than stupid. Bahar is the word for stupid, and it translates out in the English stupid, right? He says, I am more than, uh, more stupid than any man. And yet he presents this greatest of all riddles, right? It's in fact an unsolvable riddle in verse four. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Many of the English translations say and descended because it really implies in the grammar both ascended and descended. And it was unsolvable, in fact, until that first Noel, uh, that first um, Christmas when the angels came and visited the shepherds. Well, Jesus is the only possible answer or solution to this riddle. The one who ascended is also the same individual who descended, right? He descended to the Bethlehem plain in the weakness of his humanity. He had set aside his divine glory. And then, as the risen Lord, 30 some years later, he ascended into heaven 
in the uh, uh, in his divine uh, power, and so he ascended and left his glory behind and set it aside, and he ascended and picked up his glory once again. So who has descended is what we're going to look at today, because this is the Christmas season, and tomorrow is Christmas. And that's a great understatement. Who has descended? When we look at Christmas purely as God coming as a baby, which it was, I mean, it, that's what Christmas is about, is God uh, becoming a man. But if we just look at it from that perspective and just say, wow, God became a baby, God with us, Emmanuel, right? Even though he's our divine savior coming as a babe, then we risk playing into this grand understatement and marginalizing what really took place, which is what the world wants to do. I remember many years ago, I was in our dispatch office talking with one of our dispatchers, a dear lady. I'll just mention her first name as Loretta. She was kind of like a surrogate grandmother to all the little uh, kids of the Rangers at that time uh, that were wandering around there. And I was having some kind of discussion with her and I started saying a Bible verse without actually quoting where the address was. And I just said, um, all things work to good for those who wait on the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Well, as soon as I started saying that, she jumped in as well and said, you know, all, all things work to good for those who wait. That's what the world wants you to believe. If you just wait long enough, everything's going to work out. But what that verse says is the continuation of it. Wait, who wait on the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And, and when I continued with that and she had stopped, she looked at me and she says, is that that whole saying? I've never heard that before. Here was a, a woman who uh, claimed to be a churchgoer, and she was a grandmotherly lady and had never heard beyond what the world wanted her to hear. And so let's look a little bit about beyond just the, the babe in the manger. Let's think about all that's behind Jesus descending, the sun descending. He came down from the lofty heights of his majesty. And he left the sapphire pavement that was in his throne room and graciously came to become our savior in obedience to the Father's will. His infinite vastness, 
beyond our comprehension became almost nothing as he descended into the virgin's womb, right? And in that little microscopic cellular state, he was knit together to become a human. Massive in his existence, but minuscule to the naked eye at that point. Then nine months later, he appeared on the plains of Bethlehem, having been birthed by Mary, the Virgin. He didn't come as a mature man. He wasn't created as Adam was, but in fact, he came uniquely having been conceived by the Holy Spirit and was an infant, maybe what, 18 inches long at the time. Some of us are a little longer when we're born, some a little shorter. Uh, he probably weighed about six or seven pounds, maybe at that time. Um, wasn't very big. And yet he was the king of kings at the time he was born. God's anointed one was the embodiment, the visible essence of all of the fullness of deity that is God. Jesus could not become more God than he was at his conception and at his birth and all throughout his life. He was uh, complete in his godness as much as he was complete in his humanity. So all of the deity that is God is resident in Jesus bodily, even in those few cells in Mary's womb when God did whatever... Um, miracle he performed inside of her. Second Colossians, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. All of the godness that is resident in God is present in Jesus's humanity in his physical body. All of the purposes and the revelations and the redemption and the salvation, all that would be accomplished in him was being formed bodily in his body, right? And all of this is because God's anointed one, um, and as it says in verse three here, of Proverbs 30, I have, uh, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. That's Mashiach, that's the Messiah, which in the Greek is the Christ, right? Agur has no knowledge, has very minuscule knowledge of who this person really is. 
God's anointed one, his Messiah, the Christ, right? But all that Jesus was to accomplish was being formed in Mary's body and then was birthed uh, somewhere around December 25 on our calendar. So the incarnation, God becoming a man for his eternal purpose, it was the most wondrous miracle any of us could ever imagine. It was the most anticipated event in the Old Testament, and it runs throughout the Old Testament from Genesis 3 on, essentially. And in fact, um, ancient Hebrew scholars had noted that all of the law and the prophets point to Messiah. They are all about Messiah, all of who he is. <clears throat> so God planted this little mystery, which is really the grand unsolvable riddle of all time, in the mind of Agur, who wrote it into this proverb. So the questions, there are questions that accompany this riddle. Who has ascended to heaven and come down or descended? Let's go through them. These questions hint at a triune God, a God who has revealed himself in three persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they insinuate a divine nature of the Son. Now, there's only a couple of verses in all of the Old Testament that mention that God has a Son, but they are there, they, they do exist. As an example, um, in Psalm 2, somebody uh, read that this morning during our remembrance time. Um, in Psalm 2, we're permitted to kind of enter into this or eavesdrop into this divine conversation between the Father and the Son. And in verse 7 there, it says, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. And a few verses later, it's kiss the son, lest he be angry. And we won't go into all of what those verses mean, other than they point directly to God's son, that he, in fact, has a son who is the visible representation of who he is. Isaiah chapter 7 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The son's name is God with us, right? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. For to us a child is born points to his humanity, and to us a son is given, points to his deity as God's son. So there are a couple of verses that 
in the Old Testament that point directly to God having a son, which is important for the discussion here. And we'll continue on in verse 4. Um, Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Think about this for just a second. The baby Jesus at his conception, I'm sorry, at his birth, um, well, at his conception, he didn't even have fists. But even at his birth, uh, it was all he could do to just grab Joseph's finger, hold on to Mary's thumb, right? It's all he could do. And yet, Agur asks this question, who has gathered the wind in his fists? Uh, there's a, a song out in Christendom that's probably, uh, I don't know, 30, 40 years old now. Uh, it was written by songwriter Rich Mullins. And in that song, he writes, there's thunder in his footsteps and lightning in his fists. Our God is an awesome God. I see some of you mouthing the words. You know the song, right? But think about his incarnation. There was no thunder present. There certainly was no thunder in his footsteps. He didn't have any footsteps yet, right? And yet, that's who he is. There was no lightning at that time, and certainly no lightning from his fists could occur. He could barely even hold on to anything, uh, this little baby that was born, right? He was only a harmless and vulnerable little uh, human being at that, po at that point in time. Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment is the next question that he asks. The same one whom Mary wrapped in swaddling clothes is the same one who separated the firmament of the waters from the land. Right? And yet, when he was born, he certainly had no capacity to do that. And yet that's who he was by nature. Our majestic creator, right? And here he is laying in a tiny feeding trough, right? Very vulnerable, only able to cry and eat and sleep and poop. That's about all he could do for several weeks, right? But that same cooing little voice that Mary and Joseph and others in their family got to hear, he would calm windstorms and he would wither fig trees with his voice and he would multiply bread to feed multitudes and he would call people back from the grave lazarus come forth with that same voice and yet at his incarnation 
at his birth, he was by nature this great creator, and yet, practically speaking, he had no voice yet, right? In Psalm 29, in the first, uh, in verse 5, and then in verse 7, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. But in the manger, the voice of the Lord was voluntarily muted. Right? It was as faint as a whisper or soft as a baby's breath. And yet, by nature, he broke the cedars of Lebanon and, and he shook the wilderness of Kadesh and he created the heavens and the earth with that same voice. He just didn't think it into existence. He spoke it into existence. Then there's the question, who has established the ends of the earth? The same one who couldn't even hold up his head when he was born. But even in that vulnerable state, he was still the sustainer of all things. All things are held together by and for the Lord. And even in his state of infancy as he was just born by nature he was holding it all together for us i always love it when i hear a scientist and i used to hear hear more of that because i was you know in college and whatnot and you could hear that that sort of speech from time to time where they talk about you know here's a solid object but it's made up of all these particles that are kind of loosely held together with electrical charges, positives or negatives or, or neutrals or whatever. And in fact, you know, it's great to hear a PhD say, but we have no reason to understand why it all just doesn't fly apart. It's being held together by what? Energy, right? That makes no sense. And uh, so it's, it's great to know that Jesus is holding it all together. He always has and he always will until it's done with the Father's purpose. So he didn't know yet to speak, but in eternity, outside of time, his voice spoke all things into existence. His fingers, created every star, his voice named each one, right? But through the incarnation where God became a man, he accomplished even so much more than at creation. 
With his great strength, he embraces our weakness. And we might see him up close and personal that way, face to face, because of his obedience to the Father. Through Jesus' poverty, if you will, we are enriched beyond what we can even comprehend. We don't even know the questions to ask about how enriched we are and will realize at some point outside of time when we're with him um, in an actual state. The incarnation is a curiosity that we can't yet fully comprehend. That's how Agur can write, I am so stupid. I do not have the ability to comprehend the Most High. You know what? The best is even yet to come. When we will have that ability to comprehend because we will see him with our eyes as Job was looking forward to. Even though I'm dead and decayed, he says, yet I know that with these eyes, these ones right here that I'm wearing inside my head, I'm going to see my Redeemer. And we will be with Job in that. Okay. So when we think about the real meaning behind Christmas, what does it all mean? Think about God descended, right? He temporarily gave up all of the comforts and the privileges that accompanied his glory so that he could live quietly and simply in obedience to the Father's will while patiently waiting to perform the work of redemption, which included horrendous torture and execution. So what is Christmas all about? Charlie Brown asks. Well, um, Dr. Francis Schaeffer responded, how then should we live? He's actually a 21st century um, theologian, kind of a a grand man, and he's buried here in Rochester. I just learned this week as I was doing some studies. Uh, Francis Schaeffer. Turn with me as a closing passage to Philippians in chapter 2, and we're going to see the answers to Charlie Brown's question and Dr. Schaefer's questions. Two, and we'll pick it up at verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men 
and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, ascended, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And we'll just leave it right there. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the salvation in the gift that you've given us of your son. That salvation is beyond our reach, except that you gave us your son, so that by faith we can know you, and you've squared our account uh, by his shed blood. Lord, I pray as we go out and finish this Christmas season, you will uh, take us beyond this little baby and the, the shepherds and the angels and the wise men and look at who this little baby really is and that he is you in the form of your son and that you set aside glory the glory that only you could know um, and picked up humanity so that you could become the perfect sacrifice so that you could know the toils that we go through so that we have a savior who in fact has has walked in our shoes and yet has succeeded uh, because of his obedience Lord, we thank you for this special time of year to not just remember your sacrifice, but also remember that you've loved us so much that you gave us your only begotten son so that we should not perish. And it's in his great name we pray. Amen.